three men. We really don't know very much about the first one, except that he was a young person. We know that his mom was located in the center of Jerusalem and that she really had in her house the very first Christian church. Maybe when he was just a kid, maybe he actually saw Jesus. Maybe he was one of the ones that Jesus took in his arms. But what we do know is that the disciples would come in and out of this house, that this young man would have heard the stories of Jesus straight from the ones who had actually worked with him, the ones who knew him best, and that he would have heard the prayers of men and women who had been by his side and who talked to Jesus as their very best friend. His name was John Mark. Now, the second man was a guy who we hear about early in Acts. You know, really, he was one of them who were there in the upper room where they met with one accord. His name was Joseph Barnabas. And the first time we really hear of him is he is finding out that there's some needs in the church. And so he knows that he needs to do something about it. So he goes out and sells his property so that they can have money to give to the people who are in need. That was a lot of generosity. You know, it was the disciples who gave him that second name, Barnabas, because it means son of encouragement. It was him when the disciples who distrusted and feared this guy named Paul, it was Barnabas who went to Paul, who forgave the heinous acts that that Paul had committed. And he, going against the flow, he stood up for him and he brought him to the disciples and he said, you've got to listen to this guy. He is called of God. He has got something to say. Yeah, Barnabas, son of encouragement. Luke says it describes him as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He was a wise leader and he was a man with a beautiful heart. The third man, you all know, we call him Saul or we call him Paul, but everybody knew him. You know that the Pharisees, they knew him because he was really an excellent scholar. He had been someone who really knew the scriptures. He had a keen intellect. And then the Gentiles knew him because he had, he was the one who embraced them and brought them in, grafted them in to be the chosen people under the grace of Jesus. He is the one who put into words the amazing concept of redemption and salvation in a way that people could understand. He always thought of himself that he was really a better writer than he was a speaker. But he did amazing things with his words. He was a man of prayer. From the time at Damascus when he was struck blind and he began praying of what's going on, he was a man who prayed to God for the vision. He spent three years with Jesus, tuning his ear 
to the words that, that Jesus would speak to him, the things that he would explain to him. Three very different men, all men of prayer, all men familiar with the scripture, all three devoted to the Messiah. Together, they went on an adventure. How many of you like adventures? You know, we call this adventure the first missionary journey because we happen to know, because we've read the rest of the story, we know that they went, Paul went on two other missionary journeys. But at this point, they didn't know it was the first missionary journey. They just knew that God had called them and that they were going to go for him. They were going to work for him. In Acts 13, the church of Antioch, which is where they were attending, they had been worshiping, they had been fasting, they had been praying for the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 13, 2, the Holy Spirit actually speaks. And he says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them to do. Well, that made them fast and pray some more. And then the church laid their hands on the two of them and they sent them out on God's adventure. And then before they left, John Mark volunteered, hey, want me to go with you? And they said, okay, we're glad for some extra help, a little more support. Things had been going great in Antioch where they had been worshiping, where they had been ministering. The truth was heard with joy. People were excited. It was like, oh, this is the most wonderful thing we've ever heard. But now the three of them were going off into untried territory where Jesus was not so well known. And the work was hard. The ground was hard. Sometimes there wasn't enough food. And people were mean. They didn't really accept what they were saying. And sometimes it was just plain dangerous. And John Mark, young John Mark, he bailed. We really don't know what happened, but John Mark just went home. Paul and Barnabas continued on their journey. And you know, if John Mark thought it was rough before he, he left, before he bailed, things got worse. So it's probably a good thing he wasn't there. But in a, you know, a, about a year, Paul and Barnabas, they come back home and they've got stories, stories of what God did, stories of how God led, how he really preserved their lives because they were in some pretty bad situations. When they got back, they stayed for a year or so and continued to talk and preach and grow and, you know, talk about, about Jesus. But they were always thinking about those people that they had ministered to when they were out there on their adventure. And one day, Paul comes to Barnabas and he says, let's go back. Let's see how they're doing. Let's go, let's go check on them. And Barnabas said, great, I'll go ask John Mark if he'll come with us. What? You're going to invite who? Well, John, hmm, hmm. Two men with very different reactions of the failings of the third one. How 
can men of God see things so differently? You know, we really don't know the relationship of what happened on that trip with the three of them, right? You know, maybe John Mark was young. Maybe he had an attitude, you know? Maybe he compared Paul to his friend Peter that he had met when Peter was in and out of his home so much. And he thought, you know, Paul's nothing like Peter. And then maybe he was kind of disillusioned. Or maybe Barnabas, because, you know, they were related. Maybe he kind of coddled his, his young relative and tried to really, you know, maybe save him from some of the hard work. And Paul was like, no, you know, this kid's got to step up. He's got to do the work that needs to be done. You know, we don't really know. Maybe Paul just saw John Mark as weak. He was annoying. Maybe he was more of a, a hindrance than he was a help. Or maybe it was just not all what any of them expected it to be, this missionary work. And maybe they got discouraged because you know what? All workers sometimes get discouraged. But what's really interesting to me that even though we know that all three of them were men of prayer, right? The Bible never mentions where they went to God and said, should we take John Mark with us or not? John Mark doesn't say, God, should I go with them? There is no mention of any prayer or any guidance of what was supposed to happen. Instead, many translations say that there was a sharp disagreement or sharp contention. The Message Bible just says, tempers flared. However you want to talk about it, however you translate it, it wasn't pretty. And the severity of the disagreement was so bad that the first two Christian missionaries parted company. And we have no evidence that they ever worked together again. Sometimes, even the strongest, the strongest ones, fall into Satan's traps. Though we don't really know what happened, we can surmise a few things from Scripture that probably played into it. First off, Paul was an intellectual, right? He had a brilliant mind and he argued with some of the most brilliant minds of his age. He loved to answer the difficult questions. He loved to figure stuff out. That was what, that's how he's, he viewed the world. He evaluated and operated pretty much from his head. Though he later wrote amazing things about the grace of God. At this point in his life, Paul was still a little closer to being a Pharisee. That was more familiar to him early on. And he thought, you know, John Mark, he's a quitter. He is undependable. The young lad needs to take his licks, gets what he's deserved, and there is no way I am dragging him around the world with me. Then you have Barnabas. Now, he was also a great teacher, but he showed a, a more tender side than Paul did. When he saw those financial needs, remember, he's the one who went out and sold his property and took care of people. When he saw Paul being rejected by everybody else, he brought him in so that he could be part of the disciples. 
he was the encourager. And when he saw a young man who had messed up, when he saw a young man who wanted a second chance, he went to bat for him. He showed him the grace that Paul so, so eloquently wrote about. He showed him that grace and he forgave him. There was no uniting, seeing eye to eye between the two leaders. Because God is God, and because he specializes in taking our mistakes and still bringing good out of them, God was able to take Paul, and Paul chose Silas to go with him, and he sent them off. But Barnabas was not discouraged. He and John Mark went back to Cyprus, was kind of like where their, their family was from. And so instead of two mission, one missionary team, we now have two. You know, God does things like that. It was, it was very effective. But there is no indication that Barnabas and Paul ever spoke words of forgiveness. I think that even though God made a good situation out of it, he brought good out of it, I don't think that excuses the inappropriate behavior of our senior statesmen. Forgiveness. Let's be honest. If I asked you if there was anybody in your life who you right now have had a hard time forgiving, I'm pretty sure most of you could come up with a name. Forgiveness is hard. We can forgive the little things. If, if you stepped on my toe accidentally, I could forgive you. Or if you burned my toast for breakfast, I could forgive that too. Maybe if you left my desk a mess, I could forgive that. Little things like that, we can forgive, no problem. But there are some things in our lives that really just seem unforgivable. And you know what I'm talking about. It is the thing that cuts you to your heart. And it may be something that's a little different for each of us. How can we forgive something like that when there is no justice? How can we forgive something like that when there is no apology made, how can we forgive when really what happened has crippled us emotionally? Sometimes we can even rationalize that to forgive in that situation would be wrong. But then we look at Jesus. Jesus, who had been set up who was betrayed, who was lied to, and then who was beaten, and who was tortured, who was murdered. There, there were no apologies. No one said, I'm sorry. There was no justice. There was nothing fair about it. Everybody knew that. Yet Jesus on the cross, we all know what he said. Father, they don't know what they're doing. You know, if Jesus is our example, 
in all things. I think this is an area where most of us fall short. Jesus clearly says in Matthew 6, Matthew 6, 14 and 15, he clearly says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. That's hard. Those are hard words. But it makes it so clear. Unforgiveness is not an option. Most of us have been to that place where we felt that unforgiveness. And we felt it transform into bitterness. And we felt the bitterness leave a hole in our hearts. The saying goes that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Though I can rationalize my vindictive spirit, and if I'm honest, there have been times that I have, the person that I am hurting most is me. The Bible has always been clear on this. And those who have read pages of the Bible know what Jesus says, even if most of the time we choose not to think about it. You know, recently, I was reading an article that was published in the American Psychological Association that supported the Bible's viewpoint on forgiveness, even suggesting that prayer was a wonderful thing that assisted people who were, were really hurting for people who were believers. The author goes on giving like suggestions on how to really forgive people, saying that it imp forgiveness improves your mental health and your physical health. And then she writes that true forgiveness is more than just letting go, but goes a step further, offering someone positive empathy, compassion, understanding toward the person who hurt you. Hmm. Isn't it funny that sometimes we will read it more from the professionals and absorb it than we will absorb what is said in Scripture that we have heard all our lives? Empathy, compassion, understanding. When was the last time you applied those three things to the person who hurt you? Have you ever asked Jesus to open up your mind so that you could understand the angst of the one that you can't forgive? Now, I want to make it clear that forgiveness does not necessarily mean that you forget. And honestly, in some situations, it is better that you do not forget. Forgiveness does not mean that you have to trust that person again. Forgiveness is not justice. Forgiveness is just letting go of the pain and being willing to look at the situation from the other point of view, from the offender's 
point of view. Forgiveness is looking forward and not looking back. And it is my belief that that deep kind of understanding and compassion and empathy, that that kind of forgiveness can only happen when we really let Jesus in our hearts, when we really invite him to not just be outside us, but to live within us. That is the only way it happens. I think that forgiveness is nothing less than a miracle. And it is a miracle that Jesus is more than willing to perform in all of our hearts. However, it cannot happen without our permission. It, it cannot help but happen without our cooperation. It just sometimes can't let go of it. In the story that we just read, was John Mark in the wrong? I think in the very least, we would have to say that John Mark disappointed his mentors who were counting on him, right? But what would have happened if John Mark had not been forgiven and given a second chance? What would have happened? Would he have turned his back on the church? Would he have walked away? Would he have said, I've had enough? and be gone? I don't know. I don't know what would have happened. I don't know what would have happened to John Mark if he wasn't forgiven. But I can tell you what happened to Andrew. Married young and unhappy, he had an affair and he was disfellowshipped from the church. No one came to him and said, let me work through this sin with you. No one said, let me help you with this because I know you're in pain. No one from the church knocked on his door and visited and tried to embrace him. No one used the word forgiveness. You can seek forgiveness. We want you. Nobody did that. No one gave him a second chance. And he didn't come back. I don't know what would have happened to John Mark if he wasn't forgiven, but I can tell you what happened to Brittany. When the church find out, found out that she was pregnant, they wanted to make an example of her so that the other young ladies in the church wouldn't make the same mistake. They kicked her out, and no one tried to minister to her and her daughter. No one tried to bring them back into the loving arms of Jesus. She lived the rest of her life wearing the invisible scarlet letter. No one told her she could be forgiven. I don't know what would have happened to John Mark if he wasn't forgiven, but I can tell you what has happened to dozens of our beautiful young people who have been frowned on and criticized, ignored and shunned when their skirts were too short or their hair was too long. They have not been given the opportunity to grow past their questioning, to grow past their insecurities, to, to grow past the experimentations. 
And even if we would have given some of them a second chance, I don't know that they would have taken it because the hurt was too deep. I don't know what would have happened to John Mark, but I can tell you that all of us here today need to learn a lesson from Barnabas, who was the encourager and who was the one who brought forgiveness. And it's not only the young people. All of us make mistakes. And all of us need forgiveness. It is impossible to be human and not need forgiveness and not need to learn how to forgive. Forgiveness is a part of every single relationship we're in. And let me remind you that really, None of us deserve it. But what we do know is that John Mark was forgiven. Barnabas forgave the young man and together they went off to Cyprus, their, uh, their homeland, and they started working for Jesus. Maybe they didn't have all the adventures that Paul and Silas ended up having. Maybe they didn't face all the dangers, but maybe Cyprus was a better place I got a better training ground for a young man who was just kind of learning the ropes and trying to gain some confidence. We also know that a more experienced Paul also forgave young John Mark. 10 years later, the older and wiser apostle writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4:32. And he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And we know specifically that he applied his words to John Mark because in his second letter to Timothy, Paul asked Timothy to quote, get Mark and bring him with you. for He is very useful to me in ministry. And in Colossians 4, Paul describes Mark as a fellow worker and a comfort to him. Don't you just love it when God takes a situation and redeems it when it looks impossible? That is his specialty. Did Paul ever apologize? I don't know. But apparently... John Mark had learned some things from Barnabas, the son of encouragement, because he let the Holy Spirit work in his heart, his damaged heart, and he learned how to forgive too. As Timothy became the adopted son of Paul, John Mark became the adopted son of Peter, and he began writing down the stories that Peter told him about Jesus of Nazareth. And you find him in your Bible, in the book that is appropriately called Mark. Interesting that the first documentation of the Son of God was written by somebody who had a second chance by the name of John Mark. What a loss it would have been to all of us 
if John Mark had turned his back and walked away. What a loss it would have been to all of us if John Mark was not forgiven and given a second chance. A lack of forgiveness hobbles the work of God. But forgiveness brings a freedom. You know, John Mark does not record the story, but Matthew writes of a day when Peter comes to Jesus and asks him how many times he needs to forgive his brother. He's very magnanimous. He says, should I forgive seven times? Because the rabbis only required three. So Peter thought he was really going the extra mile. But you know what Jesus said to him, right? Jesus basically tells him to stop counting and to never stop forgiving. And then Jesus spins a parable. You can find it in Matthew 18, 23 through 35. There was a king who started going through his records and he realized that a lot of people owed him a lot of money. And so he started calling for his servants to come in and pay up. One of his servants came in who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, you and I, we do not calculate our money and our paychecks in talents. And I'm not gonna do the math with you, but somebody has done it. And what they say is that today, that amount would be over $7 billion. I mean, seriously, who could afford to pay a debt like that? And this guy was no exception. So he, the king says, oh, if you can't pay it, all right, we're gonna take everything you own and you and your wife and your kids, we're gonna sell you into slavery. The guy throws himself on his knees and begs the king, please have mercy on me, have mercy on me. I will pay back all of it, which of course wasn't true because there's no way he could pay back that much money. But he still said, please have mercy, have mercy. And the king looking at his servant with understanding and compassion and empathy set the man free, completely forgiving the entire debt. Who does that? I mean, that's a lot of money. Well, the servant was just amazed and didn't know what to say. And he, he starts going out, go tell his wife, you're not gonna believe what just happened. And he runs into a buddy of his and he thinks, that guy owes me money. The guy, his friend, owed him a hundred denarii, which really is something that could just fit in your pocket. And he grabs him by the throat and starts choking him. And he says, pay up. You owe me this money, pay now. And the guy says, have mercy on me. I'll pay you back. I promise I will. And he says, pay me now or I'm sending you to jail. And he sends his friend to jail. Well, everybody's kind of abhorred going, what just happened? And the king gets word of it. And the king summons his servant a second time. The servant comes in and the king looks at him and says, you evil servant. I forgave your entire debt when you begged for mercy. Where was your mercy when your friend was begging you? 
And then Jesus very pointedly says, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. From the heart. That's a hard ending, and we don't like it. I don't like it. It's kind of harsh, yeah, don't you think? But I think Jesus was doing his best to make it very clear to us, to give us that perspective that though we want to cover our ears and cover our eyes, unforgiveness is not okay. Who am I to not forgive when Jesus has given me unfathomable forgiveness? Maybe we need to take a more honest look at ourselves and our own need of forgiveness before we walk away from forgiving someone who has hurt us. C.S. Lewis wrote it like this. Difficult though it may be, we must forgive. And with God's help, we can. As we do, we will taste the sweet freedom and joy known only to forgiven and forgiving hearts. Sweet freedom and joy. Wouldn't you like to have a taste of that?